All right. Well, it is Thanksgiving week. It's probably my favorite week of the year. I, I love the holiday and all that goes with it. And uh, so I want to think about giving thanks this morning. Uh, that's part of our discussion of prayer. We've been on that for a couple months now. Remember that prayer is conversation with God through which we experience His transforming friendship and partner with Him in the work of His kingdom. So we've thought about different elements of that. And the last time I was with you, I had a couple weeks off here, but the last time we, we spoke together, we talked about prayers of lament. Lament is expressing grief, mourning, complaining. And we saw that, that prayers of lament are a significant part of the experience of God's people. Not something to be avoided. It's not some sub-level of Christian existence. Uh, prayers of lament make up about a third of the Psalms. And then, of course, you have to add in uh, a good part of the book of Job. Job is unhappy and he's complaining to God. You have to include significant segments of the prophecy of Jeremiah and then his little book of Lamentations, which is actually a fairly long poem, but it is mostly complaints. Now, interestingly, right in the middle of that long complaint, you get that statement, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Uh, his mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. And that's what the hymn is built about. And it's a wonderful old hymn, but the hymn kind of puts that thanksgiving out of context, doesn't it? That shows up in the midst of grieving and weeping over Jeremiah's own personal situation and the situation of uh, the people of Jerusalem. So it's a significant part of life. And we looked at Psalm 42, which is a, a, a well-known psalm of lament. And we noted various expressions there. For the psalmist, God seems absent. Uh, Tears are my food. Which I think may suggest, among other things, that when you get really sad, you don't want to eat. Joyful worship is only a memory. His soul is downcast. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. He feels that God has forgotten him. He's oppressed by the enemy, and, and the grief is even felt physically. Yeah, lament, lament. Significant part of our experience. If you are not lamenting now, you will be. Right? That's, that's part of life, and I love the authenticity of Scripture, that it acknowledges that reality. We don't have to pretend that life is better than it is. Some Christians get into that mindset, and I think it, uh, it hurts them and it hurts our witness to the gospel. Well, so that's on the one side, right? We might say there's a, a spectrum of our experience in prayer as there is our experience in life. So I want to look at this other dimension, which is so uh, appropriate seasonally, I guess. I want to 
I want to talk a little bit about prayers of thanksgiving. Because this is another theme in the Bible which is very prominent. If lament is prominent, and it is, uh, thanksgiving is, I believe, even more visible in Scripture as something that we are encouraged to do. So just, you know, a few verses here. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. That's 1 Chronicles 16.34, where King David uh, gave instructions to the Levites under the leadership of Asaph, gave them instructions as to how they were to worship the Lord in connection with the, the tabernacle. Now that same verse shows up later in Psalm 106. So uh, obviously the, the Levites were doing their job, right? And, and now all the people are called to give thanks. Psalm 95, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And we, we did quite a bit of that this morning as we sang together. <clears throat> and then Paul, who, who understands this theme in Scripture very clearly, writes to the Thessalonians, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And You'll notice what is important, I think, is it does not say give thanks for all circumstances, right? Sometimes that's misunderstood too. Uh, I think that's, that's equally inauthentic <laughs> because uh, some things you don't give thanks for, you don't need to feel that you should give thanks for them, right? It, if you just got a, a, a bad health diagnosis, you, you don't have to thank God for that. Now, later on, there may be something connected with that that you do give thanks for. So you don't have to give thanks for every circumstance, but in every circumstance, you are encouraged to give thanks. You get the difference? And then this is Communion Sunday, and I've been thinking about, uh, about this. Here's Paul's account of the Last Supper. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In every circumstance, even facing your death, even for Jesus facing death on the cross, he gives thanks. All right, so let's, uh, let's work with this a little bit. And uh, here is probably the most important thing I want to try to say today. And that is that thanksgiving 
is a spiritual practice. That is, it's something we learn to do. It isn't automatic. We have to be taught it. <clears throat> what, uh, what do parents learn to say to their <clears throat> little children when Aunt Sally gives you the pair of <clears throat> purple and gold socks? What do you say? Yuck. <laughs> no? If you're learning how to be a mature individual, you learn to say thanks. Thank you. It's something we learn to do. It's, it's something that needs to be practiced. It is, a, to that extent, a skill whether it's playing an instrument or learning to play tennis or whatever, Thanksgiving is something that needs to be learned. We need to learn to do it. So how do we, how do we practice Thanksgiving? Well, we give ourselves to remembrance remembering what God has done, and that, that helps us to cultivate a way of thinking about our relationship with God. We remember the goodness of God in all circumstances, even, even those that are not pleasant. We are called to be people who remember the goodness of God. Moses, as he finishes his life. He's across the Jordan from the promised land. He's led the people for 40 years. The Lord says, you can't go into the promised land, Moses. You've got to give the leadership off to Joshua. And so Moses gives his final words to the people, which is basically the book of Deuteronomy, his final words. And repeatedly, as he goes through those words, he comes back to this theme. He says to Israel, remember, 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 or negatively, don't forget. <laughs> remember that you were a people in Egypt. You were slaves, and God brought you out by a mighty hand. Remember how God preserved you those 40 years in that dreadful wilderness. And now as you go into the land, you inherit what God has promised. As you eat from vineyards that you did not plant, as you live in houses that you did not build, as you enjoy the land that flows with milk and honey, remember, remember, remember. Because if you do not remember, your hearts will be lifted up and you will be destroyed in the land. Remember, remember, remember. See, that, that's, that's the practice that we have to give ourselves to, because if we don't actively work at remembering, 
I am, I'm sensing for myself the, the increasing importance that on a regular basis through the week, I spend some time remembering. Remembering even the preceding days. Remembering from the perspective of saying, God, where, where have you been at work in a way that I, in my busyness and all the rest, that I'm tempted to overlook. I want to slow my life down enough that I can see places where God is at work in my life or in the lives of those around me. And in remembering then, I, I have more to give thanks for. I want to practice thankfulness. So it's remembering the goodness of God, but then it's also a way of seeing, isn't it? Thankfulness is a way of looking at the world. We all have these uh, grids that focus our attention, whether it's these ones I wear in front of my eyes that allow you to be not just a blur on my screen, but you know, actually see you. Well, Thanksgiving is, is kind of like spiritual glasses that help you to focus on the right things. And you know, there's, there's all sorts of people out there that want to have you focus on other things that will not make you thankful. I've, I've told you before that I think most of us need to go on a spiritual diet, uh, a fast from uh, national and international news. Uh, certainly don't want that every day, right? About every third day, maybe? Why is that? Because... The news, doesn't matter whether it's, you know, CNN, Fox, whatever, the news is committed to a certain way of seeing. And what it encourages you to see is what is wrong with the world. And the result of that is you'll be more fearful, you'll be more angry, you'll be more depressed and you will be less thankful because you will not see so many of the things that you could see if you cultivated the practice of thankfulness. It's a way of seeing. This uh, came to mind recently. Uh, I was thinking about a book that I read, wow, 25, 30 years ago uh, by the, uh, the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who I, I would argue is maybe the, the greatest <coughs> Russian author of the 20th century. Extraordinary man. Uh, had a large part in, in bringing down the Iron Curtain and 
breaking up of the Soviet Union. His, his first book was uh, called One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. And it's one day. <clears throat> Ivan is a man who has been unjustly accused of <clears throat> treason, I believe the story was, uh, as were many of his <clears throat> uh, compatriots who fought in the Second World War. And uh, after the war, they were imprisoned by Joseph Stalin. And the prison camps were scattered across uh, Siberia. They were, they were brutally oppressive. Uh, people died of starvation. They died of <clears throat> exposure uh, because the rule was, unless it was more than 20 degrees below zero, you went out to work. Uh, so this is one day in the life of Ivan. He is eight years into a 10-year sentence. He's learned how to survive. He's, uh, there's a Christian in the story, but Ivan's not a Christian. But, but the way he comes at life, I just think is instructive and in, in ways illustrative of what we're talking about. <clears throat> so this is how the this is how the book ends. It's a fairly short book. If you never read Solzhenitsyn, uh, get this. Good introduction. <clears throat> so the end of the day. Ivan went to sleep fully content. He'd had many strokes of luck that day. They hadn't put him in the cells. <clears throat> they hadn't sent his squad to the settlement. He'd swiped a bowl of kasha at dinner. The squad leader had fixed the rates well. He'd built a wall and enjoyed doing it. He'd smuggled that bit of hacksaw blade through. He'd earned a, earned a favor from Cesar that evening. He'd bought that tobacco. And he hadn't fallen ill. He'd got over it. He woke up in the morning feeling like he was getting sick. He got over it. A day without a dark cloud. Almost a happy day. There were 3,653 days like that in his stretch. From the first clang of the rail to the last clang of the rail. 3,653 days. The three extra days were for leap years. Now, if you read that story, you see the oppression, the brutality of the Soviet work camps. Estimated million two to a million seven people died in the camps. <clears throat> but here's a guy who is eight years into a 10-year stretch, and you have the feeling he's going to make it the next two years, right? You have that feeling. Solzhenitsyn knew what he was talking about because he spent eight years in the camps. But you have a feeling Ivan's going to get there. And what is it? It's, it's that he is seeing this oppressive life from an angle that gives him hope, right? Doesn't quite say that he's thankful, but but he really is. He went to sleep fully content. 
<clears throat> a day without a dark cloud. My goodness. Well, that's Thanksgiving, friends. <clears throat> it's a spiritual practice. It's a way of seeing the world that can be cultivated. We look for God's activity, and God's activity is good. We train ourselves to see that way. And then let's, let's say this. Thanksgiving then supports a life of faith. Even in suffering. See, I don't want you to get the idea that we talked about lament and now we're talking about Thanksgiving and that, that they're just opposite ends of a spectrum, right? Like the one cancels out the other. That, that's not the way it's presented in the Bible. You know, it's not a contradiction that you lament, but then somehow you give thanks. These two are held together in Scripture. They're not contradictory. They don't cancel one another out. That's why Paul says, in every circumstance, give thanks. There are things to be thankful for, even in the midst of suffering, if you have your spiritual eyes open. So that brings me to this, uh, our last activity for the morning, uh, communion. We, we usually call it communion. Some people call it the, the Lord's table. But there are some Christian groups that call it the Eucharist. Now, that's a strange name, isn't it? Eucharist? What in the world? Well, uh, in fact, it's not all that strange if we trace it back a little bit. <clears throat> because Eucharist comes from a Greek word, eucharisteo. Right? You hear Eucharist in that? Eucharisteo, which means I give thanks. So, when Matthew and Luke tell us about the Lord's Supper, they're very clear that as Jesus came to the end of that, he, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, and it's, it's that word, eucharisteo. And then we read Paul, right? The Lord Jesus on that night in which he was betrayed uh, took bread and when he had given thanks. It's the same word. So the people who call this <clears throat> the Eucharist, they're, they're very biblical in doing that. They're, they're pointing to this idea that Jesus gave thanks now reflect on that, see? We, we've said thanksgiving isn't something that negates the reality of suffering. Nor does suffering somehow cancel out our ability to give thanks. 
Jesus who, who will say on that same night, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Jesus who feels forsaken by God. That sounds like Psalm 42, doesn't it? That's also the Jesus who, in taking bread and taking the cup of wine, which speaks very pointedly to the reality of that coming death, in view of that death, I want you to share in this cup and in this bread. This is my blood. This is my body which is broken for you. And he gives thanks. Is that remarkable or what? See, our Lord never asks us to do anything that he hasn't or would not do himself. Including the giving of thanks even in the face of suffering. Well, I hope that this week will be a week that you have many occasions to practice being thankful and that your vision expands to see more and more of what God is doing around you and in you. And, as I said, today is Communion Sunday. It is Eucharist Sunday, and uh, we want to give thanks together. Jesse is going to come and lead us in our time of communion. Jesse?